Here's to the finest crew in Starfleet. Engage. Welcome to the greatest generation Star Trek podcast. So nice, we've got to record it twice. <laughs> I'm your host, Adam Pranica. I'm your other host, Benjamin R. Harrison. Ben, I was just referring to a cold open we recorded moments ago. Yeah. Uh, that was going through the computer mic again. <laughs> when, I rec- when I record out of the podcast studio Battle Bridge... Can we see the Battle Bridge? No, I'm afraid not. Uh, it is just fraught with danger. Yeah, well, if you if you had put another another episode up with with the computer mic. I think that that would both strain the goodwill of our viewers, but also the goodwill of Adam Ragusea. And we need him, (laughs) Adam. We need him. We cannot burn that sound bridge. (laughs) (laughs) A lot of people are like, how the fuck? You're like over 100 episodes through this. How is it that you're just now fucking up your audio? Like, these are things that should be, that you should have, have dealt with in the first 10 episodes. Yeah. But the thing is, Ben, I'm in Studio B. Yeah. Studio B, uh, for those of you who who aren't clear on what that is, is this my is, bedroom. This, this is the battle bridge that you referred to in the previous episode. Yeah. Uh, this, is, this is where you go when you separate the saucer section. <laughs> when people imagine the glamour of having a, a hit podcast, Ben, Yeah. I, I, I think few <laughs> of them imagine... A man, a grown man, a grown man that looks like me. By which you mean to say Kyle McLaughlin? <laughs> yeah. I want you, fair viewer, to close your eyes and imagine Kyle McLaughlin. And if you're driving, open them right back up again. <laughs> Kyle McLaughlin hey, in bed. No, do you. Come on. Don't tell the people to drive with their eyes open if they don't want to. <laughs> I've, got, I've got the mic arm clamped to my bed frame. I've got a laptop in my lap, as <laughs> as the name connotes. Uh, I'm I'm chillaxing the most yeah. in podcast studio B here. Yeah. Now, uh, and I'm, I'm not using my main computer, and that's the issue. Is that's the issue with the audio, as it has been for the past few episodes. It's I keep setting the settings to good mic, and the computer's like, no, no fuck <laughs> that. We're using shitty mics. Well, you have a uh, you have a desktop computer in your in your main space, and that doesn't have a built-in microphone for the computer to run home to every time you set up a new project. So, when you have the Apple garbage can computer, you don't have these concerns. Mm. But when you have the MacBook Air, yeah. the MacBook Air wants to use its shitty onboard mic. Yeah, despite my. Many protestations. <laughs> so what we did is we recorded a show open five minutes ago. Oh, it was such a good show open, Adam. Oh, God, the was... tragedy of losing that great show open. I was about to tell an anecdote about a time I saw Jesse Thorne use a microphone. Huh. Hey, uh, maybe maybe <laughs> for for our viewers and myself, you, you might want to regale us with that story again. It's a story so great. I'd like to hear it twice. It, it's, it's, it's really, it doesn't even bear repeating. It wasn't a story. I was, I was trying to make polite conversation, Adam. I think that what people really care about is Star Trek The Next Generation, and more specifically, 
The Slickback Trilogy. Yeah, let's get right into it, Ben. It is Season 5, Episode 11, Hero Worship. This is becoming a speech. You're the captain, sir. You're entitled. Hmm. Not entitled to ramble on about something everyone knows. Ben, before we kick this one off, I just want to say that this is the second episode in a row that features a primary school setting. Like, it's one of its main sets. And I think when you're trying to make great and exciting sci-fi, I think it really starts in the schools, doesn't it? Mm. Interesting that it's a different teacher this time, right? Did that that lady lose her gig? (laughs) I think Worf might have murdered her. (laughs) They just ended the last episode with him raising a batleth over his head and swinging it down into her chest. He's murdered people for far less. We didn't even talk about the fact that Alexander got into Worf's holodeck program in the last episode. It's probably the safest holodeck program for Alexander to be in of all of the senior staff. When when Worf asked, you know, what what program is running and the holodeck spit back Worf calisthenics, how fucking relieved was he that it didn't spit back Riker calisthenics? Ugh. Oh man, that is that is so much worse than finding porn in the woods. <laughs> yeah. I mean, Alexander's going to have a hard adolescence to begin with. He is up for that challenge though. Yeah. Well, the uh entrepreneur is looking for a disappeared vessel. Uh the Vico. It's a research vessel. Um and it was exploring the black cluster. And um, and it's missing. It it, uh, it went missing. They so they kind of pull up to this black cluster, and it's apparently like one of the most ancient formations in the galaxy. Uh, Picard's pretty taken with it, and it's not long before they find this ship. And this ship that they're looking for is in real bad shape, Adam. It's like it's like a car with a broken window that got left in a bad neighborhood. Yeah, it looks like it was tipped forward and then put on a on a bench grinder mm. for a while. It looks yeah. like it looks like it was uh it was dragged. It's a really cool model, right? Like they've got yeah. they've got the like you can see the decks inside the the ship that have been exposed to the hard vacuum of space. Yeah, I think it's one of the best models that we've seen on the show so far during the remastering it's really great and you see it up close yeah and it's really like it's it's beaten up really well like i think that uh i heard um the guy from mythbusters adam savage talk one time about because he worked in a model shop on star wars and on star trek stuff yeah And, and he and one of the anecdotes i took away from it was that if you're making a a ship model for Star Trek, you can have like three objects repeated on on a hull, and if you're doing it for Star Wars, you do two, and then the like shape where one of them used to be but broke off. Cause, oh, because Star Wars is kind of a more like beaten up, lived in type of ship. Typically, yeah, Star Wars is more thrift store. Yeah, looking a little little bit more rusted out, a little bit more you know whacked back together. Um, and, uh, and this, this ship definitely like, it feels like it, it, it feels desecrated for that reason, you know, like it, 
it's obviously a model that used to be like really pristine and and the pristineness of the ships in the Star Trek universe makes it all the more upsetting when you see one that's in this bad of shape. Right. So they scan for life forms and they don't read any. And what their sensors indicate is that the ship is extremely dangerous. Like a bunch of it is exposed to space. The walls are barely holding up. Yeah. But Riker and Data and Geordi, like they're sent over there to eject the computer and bring it back. And this brings up a question, Ben, which is like, at what point is information recovery worth the lives of your crew? I don't know. I also wondered, I mean, we know that they have spacesuits in this universe. Like, why not put them in environmental suits for this, even if they know that there's atmosphere still in the part of the ship that they're going to? Wouldn't it be nice to just have the have the safety of, you know, being being in a spacesuit for that just in case? Because, like, the entire time they're there, they're worried about, you know, a beam shifting and it causing mm-hmm. the collapse of a of the seal, you know? This cold open depends entirely on data and what data does. So we don't need Jordy and Riker. Like, data could just go alone. It Have it be more practical and reasonable for him to do so, and it doesn't affect the story at all if he did. Hmm. Yeah, he would also just kind of love to go on a suicide mission every every so often, right? Right. I think he would relish that. It's an itch he likes to scratch. Yeah. Well, um, yeah, and the, and the other really weird thing is they don't seem to consider the possibility of survivors until they hear one. Stay here, Jordy. When they're on the ship, right? Yeah, it's made sort of quasi clear that their sensors don't detect life forms, but it's not. It's unclear as to whether it's because there are none there, or it's or because their sensors just aren't working properly because of their proximity to this thing. Yeah, but after they find the one, shouldn't they like? There's other decks of the ship that aren't exposed to the vacuum, yeah, right? Exactly. Yeah. So they rescue one kid. <laughs> And uh, it's a it's it's a, uh, a kind of a classic rescue scenario where the kid is pinned under some metal that's making it tough for the transporter to to lock on. They've got kind of a kind of a, a hunky guy standing in Chief O'Brien's place, attempting to be hunkier than Chief O'Brien. I know. Can you believe it? Uh, <laughs> This guy is attempting to beam the kid to six bay, and there's a really funny shot of a bio bed, and you know Dr. Crusher standing there waiting for her patient, and the kid is like fluxing in and out, <laughs> and it's clear that they had him like pose on a on a green screen or something in mm-hmm. the position that he would be in if he was pinned under a bunch of metal girders. <laughs> That's a fun shooting day for a child actor. Yeah. This is not the first time that they've beamed over to a ship full of dead bodies and no one mentions the smell. (laughs) Like, they basically beam inside a Katrina refrigerator and no one mentions the odor. It should be awful in there. Adam is a man who is sitting in a bedroom surrounded by milk jugs full of his own (laughs) urine. I I can imagine that that's an issue that's exquisitely uh, approximate to your lifestyle. I don't smell anything. (laughs) 
Maybe you've gotten nose blind, Adam. The decision is made that it's too dangerous for Jordy and Riker to be there, and they've got the computer files that they came for. So Jordy and Riker clear out, and Data explains to this kid, I have super strength. I'm going to move this metal thing that's on top of you, and then we're going to run over to the hallway so that we can beam out together. And the kid is like, Data seems more excited about telling someone about this strength than he ever has been before. He's really like embracing the Big Jim Slade part of himself. Like, like he's ready to hulk out and uh, and prove it to this kid. Yeah. So he he um he does he does what he says he's gonna do, and they scramble over to the to the beam out point and. Uh, and Data carries him like a, like a suitcase. Yeah, yeah, it's pretty fun. It, it felt like Data like didn't get uh, his hand up to his communicator quite as quickly as he probably could have if he really cared. Yeah, he didn't. He 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 gave it a beat just for just for uh, the sake of it being extra suspenseful. <laughs> well, this is uh, this is one take Stewart. This is a Patrick Stewart directed episode. That's so true. He. He probably saw what he wanted in the scene and then just moved on. Yeah, that's that's an interesting point. Um, yeah, it's it's a it's a weird episode for Patrick Stewart to have directed, and I feel like we, at this point we have like a bit of a track record on P. Stew and Frakes in the in the chair. Um, what what do you think? Like, can we can we do like a comparative auteur seminar? at this point i don't know if we have enough of a sample size yet to do that but and this isn't cutting ahead into the episode but i just think you notice when frakes is directing an episode and it feels like this episode looks like many others on the show and that's not saying that's not favoring one director over another it's just saying that i think that frakes is a little more flashy with shot composition yeah than Stewart is or is comfortable being at this moment in time. Like mm. Stewart will go on to direct far more episodes than this, but at this point, it, it seems as though he's uh, he's a little conservative, right? And I mean, I sort of wonder, like, is is Frakes trying to make the case for himself as a director in a way where he says, like, let me put my fingerprints on it a little bit more and. Stuart is yeah. kind of satisfied to direct shows in the style of the show. I've seen everything. Yeah, like directing for audition versus directing to directing to the project. Yeah. I get like, that. Like, I kind of think that Frakes, like, based on what we've seen and nothing else, like, I don't actually know how either of these guys think about this, but I kind of get the feeling that Frakes saw himself as potentially having a career as a director and he wound up having a career as a director mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. whereas i kind of get the sense that patrick stewart is an actor first and foremost and always will be i think when you talk about them in terms of how they self-actualize i think that that's a great indicator for what sort of director you're going to get yeah and if stewart is primarily an actor and he's primarily focused on acting then you get the episode that we have here with hero worship, which is a which is a character piece. Yeah, first and foremost. That's an interesting distinction. 
Well, so they get the kid back over to the entrepreneur. He's in Six Bay, and he's he's really upset, right? Like he's he's dealing with shit in a way that like all of the slickbacks that we've encountered, whether they were you know canonical slickback trilogy or just just your average slickback ancillary slickbacks, <laughs> yeah, 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 second string slickbacks. Uh-huh. Uh huh. Like. This this kid's trauma is much more present. I feel like uh, he he is dealing with the pain of loss and and terror in the moment. And you know, like I think that we've had other kids that kind of shut down or or you know dealt with it in in kind of peculiar ways. This kid is upset in the way that you would kind of expect a kid to be upset. It's strange because. The slickbacks that we've gotten in previous episodes have been a little older. Mm-hmm. He might be the youngest slickback we've gotten, and that might be the reason for this description. That's but interesting. He is young playing old in a way that, that feels a little uh, discordant. Yeah. Well, he starts telling them about the uh, attack that went, that ended with the the ship being destroyed and... He tells them about this alien ship that came out of the out of the cluster, and they had like a boarding party. Purple helmets. He describes phaser rifles. He describes, and they're like, "Jesus fucking Christ!" Like, like I can't believe some aliens actually did this to a Federation starship. So they start to look into this, and they're like, "Like, who could it have even have been?" Because they don't see evidence of phaser fire on the hull, so they're thinking it's got to be disruptors. And they're pretty sure that it wasn't the Romulans or or the Klingons, but they think it might have been a cloaked ship, so they're thinking maybe the Breen. What would the Breen be doing inside the black cluster? It's just kind of a it's kind of a whodunit. Like they they don't they don't have enough evidence to form a theory, you know. But the but the kid uh dealing dealing with it and and telling them like the couple of things that he remembers like winds up you know kind of sending them off in a particular direction with their investigation and uh data winds up kind of spending a lot of time with the kid because he was the one who rescued him and is the you know like so the kid feels the most safe around data and this isn't necessarily because data wants to do this this is another this is two episodes in a row of just Troy manipulation. Yeah. Troy Troy sees what the kid's going through, and she's like, well, Data, you know, since you were his rescuer, there seems to have been some sort of imprinting going on, <laughs> and I think it would be good if you just hung around him a little while longer until he gets his bearings. Yeah. And Data didn't, didn't really think to do this. No, until, I mean... Until Troy urged it. Right, and I think that that as much as anything speaks to the fact that data doesn't have any instincts to speak of. And yeah. And like, he asked Jordy at one point, like, did you ever have like anything scary happen to you when you were a kid? And Jordy describes being caught in a fire as a, as a blind five-year-old, which is a really scary story. It's like maybe the most humanizing moment yeah. that Jordy has had in the last couple of seasons. Yeah, it really is. Um, and 
and it, uh, you know, I, I think it affects data if, if not, uh, if, if nothing else. So yeah. And, and like <laughs> Troy, like conveniently can't read this kid. If he's lying, I haven't been able to sense it. Like they're, they're a little bit suspicious of his, of the information that he's giving them. And she's like, I don't, yeah. Like, I don't know if he's lying or telling the truth or what. I can't read him right now. <laughs> and she never read Alexander either. In the last episode, yeah. for being such a primary character in two episodes in a row where her job is so crucial to figuring things out, it's odd that like her greatest gift goes unused. I mean, I think it just also highlights how conveniently amorphous her gift is. Yeah. They never, they never, you can never like pin them to exactly what the extent of her power is. Yeah, and in that way, it is a great utility for a writer of a show. Yeah, I wonder what the uh, I wonder what the show bible says about Troy. It's just a a picture of a Lowe's Home and Garden Center. <laughs> uh, it's just actually a it's a it's a it's a pinup of a four breasted woman. Oh, that's <laughs> nice. Good one, Rod. It is a guiding principle with Darth Vader's face. Have you got? So they're trying to, like, figure out what's going on with this mystery and also help the kid go through the, you know, like the Kubler-Ross stages. And eventually he gets to the android stage of <laughs> of grief, right? Right. I think we're all familiar with uh, with the eight stages of grief. Yeah, you've got denial, anger, android, bargaining, yeah. Yeah. Klingon. <laughs> Orange cable knit vest right. is, is one of the stages. And acceptance. Yeah. Yeah, that's eight, yeah. right? <laughs> yeah, I think so. <laughs> I think you just designed another t-shirt. I don't believe this. What is that acronym? That is a that is a terrifically complicated acronym. Yeah, who who could even say Adam? <laughs> <laughs> the kid is putting together like a model in his room. Uh he's like playing with blocks in his room and and uh I guess he's living alone. <laughs> it's another child who's been through a, a horrible experience who's been given an apartment of his own to live in. <laughs> It's really cool. I remember watching this episode for the first time going, oh, my God, that's the dream, right? <laughs> you get your own condo and, like, some cool model building supplies. Yeah, nobody is ever going to tell you to come to dinner, right? <laughs> All I ever wanted to do at that age was be alone and build models. Yeah. There's no bedtime for me. I live by myself. It almost goes without saying that I was terribly cool. <laughs> Uh, data data swings by the uh, the bachelor pad of of this kid and uh, <laughs> and uh, and he's like, hey, that model is not great. <laughs> hey, uh, nice model you got there. It actually fucking sucks. <laughs> <laughs> and Slickback does not take this criticism particularly well. You hate it. No, until. Until Data kind of clarifies, he's like, I wasn't, I wasn't making a judgment, a, a personal judgment. I just say whatever's on my mind because I'm an android and I don't have feelings. And he's like, 
wait, that sounds amazing. You don't have feelings at all? I kind of see the benefit of this. Yeah, and, like, the kid is, like, he's really taken with Data at this point because what he has seen of Data is that he can lift super heavy objects that normal people wouldn't be able to. He doesn't have to deal with emotional trauma. And he can build models like a boss. Big Jim has satisfied women throughout the world. And the capital of Nebraska is Lincoln. He can eat all the dessert he wants and not feel sick. Yeah. Like, this, like to this kid, Data's got, Data's got it figured out. And so, like, like they, they come back to, to the kid. I think Troy, like, like, shows up at his apartment that he lives in alone by himself. <laughs> Like, like the next morning, and he, like, he who puts him to bed? <laughs> I have so many questions. Yeah, who tells him to take a bath? Wesley had more adult supervision than this kid, <laughs> and Wesley was like twice his age. Yeah, it's amazing. Wesley was probably eighteen. Like they're like this kid is dealing with the twenty stages of grief. We need to give him a wide berth. <laughs> But Troy shows up and the kid has replicated like a like a B minus data costume. <laughs> like, yeah, he's totally thrift store data. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, <laughs> like when when uh, I think we've all been there, you don't have the cash for a good Halloween costume. So you just sort of scrounge some things together. That's what he's doing. It kind of looks like he got a black sweater and a yellow sweater and he like safety pinned the yellow part onto the black part. Yeah, um, it like he 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 fucked up the arms not being the same color as the body, but uh, but he's he's got as close to a data uniform as he can get, and uh, and he's like twitching his head and he's talking about how he's functioning within acceptable parameters. He is an android. He's doing data burlesque, <laughs> and if you're if you're Brent Spiner. And this kid is acting like you're supposed to act in every episode. Do you find it a little bit insulting? Like it's th- like that it's that easy. Like, hey, I'm doing you. And it's like just sort of a shit impression. It's sort of like our impressions that we do on the show. Yeah. Except directly to the people. <laughs> yeah. I don't know if all I'm saying is if I were Brent Spiner, I might have complicated feelings seeing this kid do the head twitch. It's sort of while like t- while telling me this is what you look like. Like when my wife is, you know, I, I'm kind of a, a heat miser here in our apartment. My wife <laughs> makes the case for putting the heat on, and yeah. and says I'm cold, and I go I'm cold. Uh, like I feel like the amount of shit I get is is what I would expect for the amount of shit this kid gets for <laughs> for for imitating data. Yeah, uh, I feel like this this is probably the right point to confess this, Adam. Um, this, in some ways, is more embarrassing than my West Hot American Summer adventure. Um, there was there was like a brief, like a much briefer moment in my childhood where I remember attempting to convince some kids that I was an android. I'm designed to exceed human capacity. Ooh. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, and I don't know if this episode particularly inspired it, but I definitely was feeling, that you know, that, like, that, like, getting a little hot under the collar that you get when you think about 
an embarrassing episode from the past. <laughs> like watching this kid do this was like kind of viscerally embarrassing to me. Yeah. And and it's it's a funny it's it's funny cuz the episode kind of deals with that, right? Like toward, like I don't want to jump too far ahead, but like uh when the kid is looking back at the fact that he was walking around mimicking an android, he cops to that being kind of a kind of a boner move. That is correct. Yeah. Uh it it that really was affecting to me. <laughs> I definitely did that. Uh, had you also killed thousands of people <laughs> and we're and we're trying to face it through the 14 stages of of Star Trek the Next Generation grief um cuz i could understand ben if that's how you were processing it yeah i i don't remember what inspired it probably other than just like thinking i was a a special and unique snowflake that needed to be Treated as such by everybody. I think the answer to this question is critical, Ben. Was this before or after the West Hot incident? That is a good question. And I really wish I knew the answer. I don't I don't think I could say definitively. Mm. Um, because I could see like learning a lesson about doing an impression and and not wanting to do it again. Yeah. But uh well like the like introducing myself to Wesley there was no there was nothing implausible about it. You know. <laughs> yeah, that's true. I would just yeah, tell no people No one had any reason not to believe that. Yeah, I just say like, "Hey, my name's Wesley." You know. Like telling kids that it was already playmates with like, "Hey, uh, I don't know if you knew this about me, but I'm actually not human. I'm an android." That is a certain kind of madness. You know what? A bad haircut is going to make you do a lot of things that you regret. Well, that's another thing about this episode, Adam, is that this kid's haircut is the haircut that I had as a kid. A bad haircut will spin your life out of control. It's haircuts all the way down. Yeah, man. (sighs) Adam, I was in a barbershop the other day, uh, and I told the guy that was cutting my hair, listen, the last time I got my hair cut, about a week later, I took a look at my sideburns and realized that they were about a quarter of an inch off. Like, whoever it was not insignificant. that cut my hair last, like, fully blew it on my sideburns. And I almost wondered if it was a practical joke. It was so bad. And we, like, had a nice, like, laugh about how bad my sideburns had been the last time. Like, I, I'd gotten my hair cut somewhere else. It wasn't, like... I wasn't like blaming anybody there or anything. And I fucking got home and I like, I was shaving the next day and the guy had blown my sideburns like by the same amount. (laughs) There's no way that wasn't intentional, right? I think I had a barber play a prank on me, Adam. (laughs) It just doesn't get any better, does it, Ben? No. When my parents were in charge of what my haircut looks like, it was I looked like that kid in this in this slickback episode, which is probably why I thought it was a great idea to fucking walk around at like Sunday school introducing myself to people as an android. A haircut is really one of the primary things in your life that you just give up total agency about. Yeah. Like you are really giving it over to someone else to decide. 
Yeah, and I mean, it was a major revelation in in my life when I realized I could pay fifteen dollars and really play Russian roulette, or I could pay forty dollars and have somebody just do me right. You know, it's an emotional banger when your sideburns are blown. Yeah, it fucking sucks. <laughs> well, this has been. Uh. Not even Star this Trek Haircast. A, it's just been Haircast. It's been a very personal ep- episode of Star Trek Haircast. <laughs> my, my, my love is a peep of longing till for that which longer nurses let me see. Troy takes this newly android kid to 10 forward and uh, orders him like some, some ice cream or something. And uh, I thought it was. Uh, Pretty artful of her not to order any chocolate around this kid. It's pretty inappropriate for... It would be pretty inappropriate for her to show this kid what it looks like when she eats chocolate, right? Yeah. Yeah, that's... uh, He is not quite 13. (laughs) Uh, But, yeah, like, he is sticking to his guns on this I am an android thing. And so, like, the next scene is, like, a parent-teacher conference with Picard and Data and Troy and like Picard's got a lot on his mind because he's like there might be a hostile enemy force in this nebula with us and this kid has the only working knowledge of what we might be up against so we need you to like ply him for as much information as as we can get but also like he is dealing with some pretty major shit and has chosen to identify as android american and (laughs) and so like and and so his uh when he fills out his census yeah uh, he's he's checking other right and so like he he, like we have to we have to be sensitive to that because it's like part of his his kubler ross but also like can you please find out who our enemy is yeah. So so the choice is made to let Data like really bring this kid into the fold, like make him as androidy as you can make him. And uh he really starts from the top down, right? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> this is like he, the slickback scene from which the series gets its name. It's sort of like a karate kid style montage of like <laughs> of of Daniel, you know, working that that wooden martial arts dummy and like sanding the floors and like waxing on and waxing off, except it's just data with two hand brushes really bringing it back. Yeah, slicking the bowl cut all the way back. It doesn't look like it should be possible to turn a side part into a slick back with just two brushes, but he does it. Um, this also, I feel like maybe like there's, there's many scenes in this episode where I thought this kid did a pretty remarkable job carrying the fairly large task he is given as an actor, but, uh, this perhaps more than anything, cause I don't know if you've ever been around a kid who had a, a parent running a brush through their hair. Kids hate that. Yeah. And this kid like stays in character like has a moment uh of general general genuine pathos while data is like really going to town on his hair with two brushes he's experiencing some hair pathos for sure <laughs> 
And as you've said before, uh, something, something, pathos in a bowl cut. <laughs> I guess I have said that before, Adam. <laughs> we get, like, we get these vignettes of Data and him together where, like, you understand that Timothy's deal with this is like it serves as a coping mechanism for him but it also just seems incredibly boring mm-hmm. like one of the scenes is them sitting in data's quarters painting together yeah and data's painting like this verdant countryside yeah data's and, uh, gone Tim- full bob ross on this painting timothy's painting is like a festering hemorrhoid <laughs> <laughs> like with which in and of itself is like a projection of his emotional state. But it's kind of awesome, right? Like it's like it's kind of an amazing painting. As yeah, like it's it's a way better painting than I ever did as a kid. I'll, it's not bad. Yeah, but uh, no one studies the painting for clues, though. Yeah, no. Yeah, nobody is like, "What were you feeling when you painted this, Timothy?" <laughs> Yeah, it's so weird. They really, like, there's some transference here between Troy and Data where she's like, okay, uh, go be a robot with him. <laughs> and then uh, and then give me your report later. Right. I think I, I think that it's like after this that Troy kind of prevails on Data to start to bring the kid back, you know? Like, mm-hmm. she's like, like, now that he's been androiding around for 16 hours, it start, it's time to start, like, the process of you talking to him about why you want you want to be more human why humanity is has such a a pull on you and this is step nine this is post android right yeah like uh this is like the pinocchio step (laughs) yeah (laughs) Um, tell them why you want to be a real boy and uh and like they you know they go to the like malt shop and have some have some sodies and data expresses that you know, drinking a soda will never, like, be as as uh, delightful an experience for him as it is for a human, and that... I would gladly risk feeling bad at times if it also meant that I could taste my dessert. And, uh, like, that kind of adds up for the kid. Like, and, and I think that it's starting to... It's starting to... Like, like the fact that he's starting to reconnect with his emotional life it foreshadows the fact that he is starting to feel some like real full-blown guilt about what happened to the Vico. Yeah. And this is happening concurrently with the study that the enterprise is doing into the whole quote unquote attack on the Vico Mm -hmm. and things are just sort of not adding up. They have a little meeting in the ready room and Jordy's like, look guys, I can't find any sign of a boarding party. I mean the uh, the entrances and exits are are, are unused. All of the points uh, the, of egress and ingress. <laughs> yeah, yeah, they're all they're all sealed up tight. Uh, there's no like phaser scorch marks around the interior of the ship. Like I can't figure this thing out. <laughs> and so they so they sort of press Timothy. They sort of interrogate him a little harder. Yeah, and uh, and he really breaks. Like it's like, cause, because what he's been dealing with, we discover in this scene, is that he feels like he is personally responsible for the destruction of the entire starship. It was me. 
because they got a banger dropped on them and his arm flailed out and hit a computer panel and it was like right then that the ship started getting torn apart and they're like hey listen like that is what uh what we call in the biz a coincidence the damage to your ship might have occurred at the same time your arm touched the panel but it was only a coincidence it's not like that far side cartoon where the guy is uh fumbling for the seat recliner and he uh, in- accidentally hits the wings fall off button instead <laughs> yeah so so you know i and i think that this like like the kid is still having feelings about it but is is has gone through like the worst of it and is somewhat persuaded by their uh consolation that it wasn't his fault and so they tried a goodwill hunting him <laughs> i know no no you don't it's not your fault but uh yeah so they go back out on the bridge and like the enterprise is getting shredded by this nebula at this point like they're they're getting hit harder and harder by bangers and he's like this is just what it was like and the you know the crew keep kind of like checking in status of different systems and he's like i heard that on the bridge i heard that i heard that and conveniently this kid was like in the command center when the starship that he was on was being torn apart so he like knows what stuff they were dealing with and data starts like using using the the terms that that uh slickback has uh is recalling from from his misadventure on the Vico. More power to the shields. They said that too, Data. I'm positive. But the entrepreneur, like, they keep trying to, like, increase power to the shields. They're, like, shunting warp power to the shields, like, boosting the shields every every time they get hit. And they're about to get hit by the biggest banger yet, and Data's like, turn them off! <laughs> and it's, it's like, I feel like Data is the only character that does this where he'll give an order that makes no sense and like will not explain it until you do it <laughs> like like he did this a bunch in the uh in the in the Romyarlan uh battle yeah. and like and like it always works out right like he always he he's always right but he doesn't use the like plenty of time that he obviously always has to explain why for someone who does not feel emotion he sure has a sense of drama <laughs> Yeah. So it turns out there was like an inverse correlation between all of the, like they're throwing all these logs onto the shield fire. Yeah. And and the hotter that that shield burns, the more powerful the bangers are that are getting dropped on them. Yeah. I feel like this is like it's not not the not the first time that's been a thing. Also. Yeah. But uh, you know, Picard. Yeah, booby trap was all about that, right? Yeah, it kind of was. So uh, Picard says, make it so. They drop the shields. The banger dissipates before it hits them. And uh, The irritation that Riker feels. That's suicide data. He's so disgusted by this plan. <laughs> it's almost like, this is how I'm going to go out. Data, you fucking asshole. Yeah. And like, it's Riker- suicide data is really the perfect thing to say to data too. Right. Who yeah. is, has like a master's degree in suicide. Every, every climactic episode that data <laughs> takes part in, you could say that yeah. to him. <laughs> yeah. 
Um, well, they... Uh, like Riker's not talking to the smartest thing he's ever talked to. Right. Riker has, a, has, has, the, has the confidence of a cisgendered white male who <laughs> has sex with whomever and whatever strikes his fancy. You it's know? true. Yeah. Too much confidence. <laughs> so the button on the episode is Data and Troy looking through the, like, weird one-way interrogation room glass into the into the schoolroom, which is like, of course they would have that on this ship. Yeah. And, uh, you know, Troy is saying like, yeah, like he's, 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 uh, he's at step 48 of the Kubler-Ross now. And Data's <laughs> like, well, he doesn't seem better. And, the, you know, the kid is, uh, the kid is not taking part in the round of row, row, row your boat that everybody else is singing. Which is how you know he's not all better. Yeah. Because when you do the round robin, row, row, row your boat, that's just fun. Yeah, you need everybody Everyone to get that. in on that. Yeah. What is it with no that? No Alexander to be seen. No. What, what's it with that, with that tune on this ship? They're either singing row, row, row your boat or Frere Jaca, like, all the time now. Are those two songs that go across every language, language and culture? Like, mm. when you are... When you were to overdub this for Spanish language or whatever, like does that? I would, does, yeah, that's a good point. Maybe it's uh, maybe it's for the international syndication market. Yeah, you got to make those syndication bucks. Mm. Yeah, so a little bit of a sad button yeah. on this one. It sounds like he's gonna be okay, but it's gonna take some time. Yeah, uh, data's fine though. It's gonna Dade be like a, shit. at least a couple of sonic showers before he has all that. All that uh, pomade worked out of his hair. Yeah. Takes, you know. Oh, man. I don't know if you've ever, like, uh, gone to a wedding or something and tried a new pomade or hair stuff, and then, like, you take your shower and it's, like, not really out the next day. Yeah, it's going to take multiple washings, yep. I think. And those brushes are fucking ruined. The <laughs> hand brushes that, yeah. that Data used. That like Not the right kind of brush for that project. Those, teeth are going to be jacked yeah i am the cutest of all there are four lights did you like this episode ben i'm always i'm a sucker for a slick back episode adam um have you liked every slick back episode uh i may i may be wrong about this but i feel like i have yeah what i'm gonna say is i felt real personal shame watching this one <laughs> yeah if 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 we're about what moves the needle <laughs> emotionally, this episode sure does it. It packs emotional bangers. Yeah. Um, I don't know that it's the strongest episode, but uh, but it 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 did what it set out to do. I think. I think it it is successful in, on its own terms. Maybe. You think of the other two ways that this plot could have unfolded. Like, if Jordy's the guy to save him, does he imprint on Jordy, and then and then gets some some weird lady vibes? <laughs> yeah, if he imprints on, he's like, uh, you know, like fathers are are really badly biased against in the uh, in the in the uh, in the courts when it comes to custody concerns. <laughs> 
They're like, why are you talking about this, this kid? Is the, You're nine. This is the future. Why are we letting women into the turbo lift before the men? Yeah. <laughs> and if he imprints on Riker, like, I'm not sure that's a show that could even be shown. No, definitely not. That, yeah. It had to be data. It, it could only be data. I think I liked it, too. I mean, I liked it for its needle moving. And, I mean, you can't just help but wince at everything that this Timothy is doing throughout. It's profoundly uh, embarrassing. Yeah, but really. I feel like that, that, like that is, as an actor, one of the hardest kind of parts to play. So as a child actor, like this... Like this character at the end is aware of how how yeah. embarrassed uh like a kid might be about having done what he did and and that's i mean I, I don't know like I think that asking a kid to to lean into experiencing embarrassment is maybe harder than asking them to lean into experiencing sadness, yeah, because like I don't know someone said that part of being an actor is like suspending the ego that has to be the most difficult thing for a child to do a child of his age right especially because that's almost all that you have yeah we don't have to talk about this too much longer and i believe we have some some sort of indication that subspace has information for us adam do we do we want to move on to priority one let's do it let's check our messages Priority one message from Starfleet coming in on secured channel. Need a supplemental income. Supplemental income? Supplemental. Supplemental. Yeah, it's extra. But the interest alone could be enough to buy this ship. Ben, we have a commercial message this time around. Yeah. Uh, and it is for another podcast. Message goes like this. Ask yourself this. Do you have spiky hair? Well, this is a great episode for a hair reference, isn't it? <laughs> Do you carry a sword that's twice as tall as you are? Are you imaginary? And is your dad a whale? <laughs> What's going on, spot? Adam? <laughs> it's a bunch of questions. Do you have a soft spot for classic RPGs like Final Fantasy, Chrono Trigger, and Baldur's Gate? On Square Roots, we play through the best RPGs one chunk at a time. Vanessa, Matthew, Jim, and John... Take a look at the highs and lows of your favorite games, from memorable villains to insane translation errors and terrible minigames. Subscribe to Square Roots today. Square Roots. So it's an RPG podcast. I really liked the game Chrono Trigger a lot when I was a kid. Uh, so I've... I'm kind of curious to, to listen to that arc of the Square Roots podcast. That sounds really fun. I played a lot of the sort of D and D adjacent yeah. RPGs that were like I played TMNT mm-hmm. a lot. I played Rifts. I was very young and very cool, which sounds like the target audience for for something like this Square Roots Classic RPG podcast. Yeah, I want to I want to check it out. Sounds great. Um, I I really admire anybody that can get four people together for a podcast. Also. <laughs> Yeah, totally. Scheduling a podcast is tricky enough with two people. <laughs> yeah, the degree of difficulty on the Square Root show is far, far higher than ours. Absolutely. And 
And I admire that greatly. Well, uh, relive the glory days of classic RPGs with the Square Roots Classic RPG Podcast. It's like, let's play for your ears. Sounds fun. Uh, Adam, we have a personal message as well. This one is from Dumpling, and it is to Marshmallow. Happy Valentine's Day to my flatulent marshmallow boyfriend. <laughs> Thank you for introducing me to Star Trek and this awesome podcast. I love you more than Deanna, Deanna Troy loves her chocolate sundaes and more than Riker loves consent. You're the best. You're Dumpling. The form of love that Dumpling is describing here might be the greatest combination ever described. Yeah. It's a sincere form of love, Adam. More than Riker loves consent. More than Troy loves chocolate. Together. Yeah, I wouldn't think that possible. Nobody loves consent as much as Riker. And and Dumpling loves Marshmallow even though he's totally flatulent. Yeah. Gassy Marshmallow. <laughs> loves him anyway. Yeah. That's pretty... That's a... Marshmallow, I hope you I hope you realize what you've got there. Yeah. Yeah, hold on to dumpling tight. Yep. And don't let go. Two hands. <laughs> Two hands, Marshmallow. <laughs> uh, if you have a uh, a message that you want to tell the world, our world, our our sliver of the universe made up of our viewers uh, of either a professional or personal type you can go to maximumfun.org slash jumbotron fill out a little form you'll have us read your message on air it's a fantastic way to support the show personal messages are $100 Uh, business or advertising style messages are $200 and they help support the show they sure do Adam hey Ben what's that Adam did you find yourself a slick back drunk Shimoda I did find a slick back drunk Shimoda, Adam. Uh, my my drunk Shimoda is in fact Timothy. Uh, <laughs> there is a uh, we talked a little bit about the scene where he and Data are having a paint together, mm-hmm. and uh, they're they're having kind of a perfunctory conversation at first, you know, talking about yawning and and. Uh, this and that and uh and then data really kind of starts to open up and have a heart to heart and he he turns over and timothy has fallen right to sleep <laughs> it's like just asleep in his paint yeah like the second data embarks on anything longer than a one sentence question or answer it put, puts this kid to sleep immediately <laughs> We're deprived of the face in the acrylic scene that I was really hoping to get. Yeah, that would have been fun. Yeah. Uh, how about yourself? Do you have a drunk Shimoda? Yeah, it's the scene where things are at their most intense, where the bangers are really getting dropped on them when the banger amplification is happening. Mm-hmm. And Timothy and Troy are standing behind Data. Mm-hmm. Troy looks down at Timothy and she's like, Timothy, perhaps you and I should go below and get out of everyone's way. (laughs) And Timothy's, no, fuck that, I'm staying. That moment where Troy says that line pretty much encapsulates her character 
and reason for being up until now. Yeah. Like, maybe I should just get out of the way is Troy's, is Deanna Troy's yearbook quote. <laughs> you know? <laughs> yeah. You wouldn't know it from the last few episodes where she has been very much in the plot. Right. All up in it. But it just, her... Maybe maybe it's something line. that somebody writes in her yearbook, but she doesn't know who wrote it. Like she's passing yeah. the yearbook around at the on the last day of school, and she gets home and discovers that somebody has left an unattributed insult in it. Hey, have a good so have a good summer. Stay cool. Maybe you should stay out of the way. <laughs> yeah, sad, sad. Darmok, Angelad, and Tanaga. One of the amazing things about making The Greatest Generation is getting to see all of the cool, creative stuff that the Friends of DeSoto make when we do a Code 47 episode. People send in handcrafted stuff all the time, and they send in their books, they send in paintings, they send in uh, crochet work. It's so cool. And uh, I want a few more of you to have websites to direct us to in those letters. I want you to put your beautiful work on display for the world so that when we get to look at it, we can tell people where to go to get a look at it themselves. And you don't have to know anything about building a website to build a website these days because you can use Squarespace. It'll look beautiful no matter what kind of device people are looking at it on. Hell, you can even sell stuff using a Squarespace website. Don't make your cool, creative project captain's eyes only. Head to squarespace.com slash scarves for a free trial. And when you're ready to launch, use offer code SCARVES to save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain. Boy, do I love a microdose gummy from Lumi Labs. I'm, uh, I'm running low, so I'm going to head over to microdose.com pretty soon and put in another order. Microdosing is a technique I use to steer my mentals in a preferred direction several times a week. And uh, I just love it because you can really predict what is going to happen and to what degree it is going to happen. Because these are very low-dose cannabis gummies that uh, give you an entry-level dose that help you feel just the right amount of good. And they've been super loyal as sponsors to Greatest Trek and Greatest Gen, so I hope you will give them a try. Get 30% off your first order, plus free shipping today at microdose.com. Promo code SCARVES. It's available nationwide. That's microdose.com. Promo code is SCARVES for 30% off and free shipping. Microdose.com. Promo code SCARVES. Back for another game. You know it. What's going on? Just one more week till Max Fun Drive. <laughs> Hard to believe. It's been a heck of a year since the last one. We're now a worker-owned co-op. We raised $50,000 for charity last year. And we've added a bunch of awesome new shows. But do you think we're ready to do it again? Absolutely. Lovely new gifts are lined up. The episodes will be amazing. And wait till everyone hears the bonus content. Yeah, plus they know to go to MaximumFun.org newsletter, so they're getting all the news. Oh, like that meetup day is on Thursday, March 21st. Then what's bothering you? Me? Oh, nothing. We're all set for Max Fun Drive to start on Monday, March 18th. I just didn't want you to see this coming. Check. What? Hang on! 
Most of the plants humans eat are technically grass. Most of the asphalt we drive on is almost a liquid. The formula of WD-40 is San Diego's greatest secret. Zippers were invented by a Swedish immigrant love story. On the podcast Secretly Incredibly Fascinating, we explore this type of amazing stuff. Stuff about ordinary topics like cabbage and batteries and socks. Topics you'd never expect to be the title of the podcast. Secretly Incredibly Fascinating. Find us by searching for the word secretly in your podcast app. And at MaximumFun.org. What's coming up on the next episode, Ben? Uh, the next episode is season five, episode 12, Violations. Troy, Riker, and Dr. Crusher fall into unexplained comas while the entrepreneur plays host to an alien race. Do you remember this one, Adam? So Gates, Sirtis, and uh, and Frakes uh, are going to some sort of acting conference. (laughs) They get this episode off. I feel like this is the one where Troy is being like sexually violated in her sleep by by mind waves and it's like it's like an after school special about rape but is deeply inartful and not <laughs> a actually good exegesis on a very hard to discuss topic if we're not going to get a Denise Crosby turned to camera how am i supposed to how am i supposed to understand the issue at hand <laughs> Without that kind of inartful explanation. Yeah. Without being beaten over the head by it. I don't know, Adam. And uh, I barely remember this episode. I really wish I mean, I'd I, known that this episode was this season because I would have saved my veto. Rape dreams sort of jogged my memory, but that's about it. Yeah. It's gonna be it's gonna be a tricky one to make jokes about, I think. The one of the aliens has Bride of Frankenstein loaf, right? That sounds familiar. Like uh, like Temple Loaf? Yeah. You might be right about that, Adam. Well, mm. we could do research on that, but we will not. Got to watch it anyway. We sure do. All right. Well, if you'd like to discuss the show with our legions of viewers, use the hashtag GreatestGen on Twitter. It's at Cut for Time to talk to Adam and at Benjamin R-A-H-R to talk to me. We've also got Facebook and Reddit groups, which are lively and hilarious communities. And uh, what else? we got to thank Adam Ragusea for many, many music tracks that he has now made for us and uh, Dark Materia for our theme song. We have an EP amount of music tracks for our show now. Yeah, we should should, put it up on Bandcamp. Yeah. Send the send the proceeds to our friends at the National Center for Science Education, maybe. Right? That would be a good move, right? Not a bad move at all. Sounds right. Feels good. Let's talk to the goose about that. Let's let's uh, we'll have a discussion with him. If uh, yeah. if he's not into it, we'll cut this part out. <laughs> That's fair. Uh, well, uh, yeah. Thanks to thanks to everybody. Thanks so much to the great folks at MaximumFun.org for all of the help and support they give us. Uh, really excited about our new Drunk Shimoda's Bar and Grill pint glass. And uh, with that, we will be back at you next time with another 
great episode of Star Trek The Next Generation and a very special episode of The Greatest Generation that you'll want to watch after school with your mom and dad around so you can talk about some important issues. MaximumFun.org. Comedy and culture. Artist owned. Listener supported.